So, Bob, I thought we would read emails from the listeners and see what comes out of our faces <laughs> in response to the emails. What do you say? We never seem to have trouble with something coming out of our faces, do we? We really do not. <laughs> we really do not. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. I am your friend, Bob, from graduate school way back when, a therapist here in practice in Seattle as well. This episode is just going to be for patrons of the podcast, I'm sorry to say. We're going to answer patron emails and other emails uh, geared towards me and Bob. And so if you want to listen to this whole episode, you got to become a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com and become a patron of Psychology in Seattle. And when you do so, you will get instructions on how to get access to this episode along with 250 of our best episodes. We've, made, we've had over 1,000 episodes and um, about, you know, two to 300 of our best episodes are, are only for patrons, you know, wow. because... We, we want to reward our patrons for their wonderful, wonderful support. So go to Patreon, become a patron, do it now. All right, welcome to the Patron Zone, people. This first question is for Bob. It's from Jenna, or Ginna, G-I-N-N-A. It's a Jenna, probably, right? Hmm, I don't know. From Dallas. Uh, she says, this can be public. So by the way, whenever you email me, go through the contact us page on psychologyseattle.com because that asks all the questions that, you know, how do you want to be referred to? Can I read it on the podcast? That kind of thing. But if for whatever reason you contact me through another way, um, make sure you indicate if you want it anonymous, if, if I can read it on online, that kind of thing. So Jenna did that. She says, this can be public. I really want to be a, I really want to be certified in DBT, oh. dialectical behavioral dialectic behavioral therapy, dialectical, dialectical behavior therapy. Yeah. I when I do a Google search for trainings, it's very confusing. I see the Marshall Linehan page, but I Wow. On this ground because for Um <laughs> so for whatever oh cuz I just said I just said Google <laughs> and my phone, my phone, like, uh, thought I was asking, okay, okay so that was interesting. Okay. So when I do a G word search for <laughs> trainings, it's very confusing. I see the Marshall Linehan page, but I also see other instructions who offer it. Yeah. I know it's an investment, but mm. I don't want to be burned or find out what I paid for was bunk. Indeed. I know a little bit about general certifications, and in some ways, I feel like it's a money maker to have to renew a certification. But I also see the benefit of having standards and continuing education. Right. Bob, what do you think? Yeah, uh, there are a lot of folks out there that say they certify in DBT, and you know, it's easy to say you certify in something. You just say, "I certify in this," and I'll stamp you a certificate that says I am indeed certifying you. You have completed my training or whatever, and they aren't all equal. So if it were me, I would either go to the Linehan Institute um, board certification, something I can't remember what they call it, but Linehan Institute, you'll find it there or seek training through an organization called behavioral tech. They provide uh, trainings. The folks that run those places are generally um, picked and, picked by Marsha Linehan and disciples of her. And so I think you can be reasonably assured that you're going to get a certification that has both um, pith to it. It has some teeth in it, some meaning to it, or some um, rigor, rigor, that's the word, and also um, uh, has some um, meaning in the world at large and will probably attract clients. Yeah. And are there bunk trainings out there? Oh, yeah. Have you yeah. heard of them? Oh, yeah. I've seen them. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God. I can't believe they're doing this. It's just just about, just drives me batty. I think yeah. it's um, extraordinarily misleading. Not quite fraudulent, but misleading. We live in a weird industry. We work in a weird industry yeah. in which there are all these terms, right? So, yeah. as you said, someone can, I, let's just say me, or no, let's not even say me because I'm a clinician. Let's say there's a 17-year-old high school dropout who decides they're going to uh, create a website and they're going to advertise a, a DBT certification course. Yep. And they, you know, go on YouTube. They learn a little bit about DBT or whatever. Right. And they start they're, – they're really good at advertising and they, they talk about – they have experts that will teach, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
they rent out a space, uh, 50 people show up, and this 17-year-old walks out in an oversized suit and a, you know... <laughs> That's an image. ...an extremely wordy PowerPoint and proceeds to blab, and everyone in the audience is like, huh? Yeah. Um, and then he hands out a certification and says, by the way, you can now call yourself a certified DBT yep. uh, clinician. And all that is not fraudulent. Nope. It's It's like... It's totally fine. Yeah. Now, they can't count any of those as, as continuing ed because that is regulated you yeah. know, in terms of state law uh, designating what sort of classes can be considered uh, continuing, continuing ed. But True. all those clinicians can walk out and say, I've been trained in DBT right. and I'm certified to do this, right. even though a 17-year-old hack – uh, that had no idea. In fact, they could have been, you know, talking about harmful uh, sorts of things. Oh, indeed. Um, and and now, could that person get sued potentially uh, if it was misleading? Potentially, if a client gets harmed and it gets back that you know, well, I learned this tech. You know, this is a handout I was given by so and so. Right. There's a, you know, yeah. Not likely to happen. No. Uh, therapists almost never get sued. We almost never have complaints against us. And when we do have complaints against us, they're usually not founded. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of uh, protection that we have because our uh, you, know, you could I don't know you could just say a lot of things about that. But um, and for people out there who are you know clients looking for a DBT person, it's a very you know confusing landscape. Oh yeah, it is. So we what we do in our industry is we rely on certain. Uh, figures or certain institutions like Marshall Linehan, you can be uh, fairly sure that the inventor and the you know flag bearer and the main researcher, uh, lead researcher for thousands or hundreds of other researchers who have also done research, uh, you can depend that anything associated with her institute is likely to be on the up and up. Yeah, um, but you could get a bad trainer on a bad day and and get worse training than with the 17 year old high school dropout possible uh it's not likely but it's possible and that's just the state that we live in and we tend to think of you know when i became a therapist and really particularly when i became a doctoral level uh person uh, because i so i'd reached sort of the you know the top of the educational pyramid i was there's nothing above me you know and and I have a psychology doctorate, which is, you know, in our field considered to be, you know, one of the best sort of doctorates one could get nice. in, in terms of elitism, if you sure. will. Uh, and, you know, it does try to really be rigorous in a lot of different psychological camps, if you will. You one know, bio- what uh, one would hope. Yeah. Well, yeah. And in, well, in some ways, it's, it's a bad thing because it's trying to cover too much ground. Oh, okay. Interesting. You know, but um, anyway, so uh, I realized how little I knew, even though I was considered to be the sm- one of the smartest or most accoladed uh, humans on the planet when it came to this field. Right. And I started looking around at, at my, my own physicians and going, how much do you not know? And and I started, you know, realizing that we're all just humans and we're all just doing our best. You know, what crap, you know, because for me, I would, <laughs> this is going to be a bad thing to say, but I'm in the patron zone, so I guess I could say it. <laughs> I, I will say that in my doctorate, uh, eight out of 10 classes were not very helpful to me. Mm. Aside from what I decided to teach myself, it, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and it did provide me that space. Yeah, like there was a class. God, do I just identify the class? I, I want to identify the class. There's one class that uh, I took in my doctorate that was not very helpful, but I decided that I was going to write a paper on evolutionary psychology in the class. And and the the, pa- the paper is supposed to be like ten fifteen pages. My paper ended up being like fifty five pages Good be- on you, be- man. because I really wanted to know. And once I started getting into evolutionary psychology, I realized how interesting it was and how bad the research was. And so I started <laughs> critiquing all of it. You know what I mean? Nice. When I went into it, I thought I'm going to discover you know 
evolutionary psychology. It's awesome. And I quickly discovered just by my own, you know, look at the research that, wow, this field is filled with pseudoscience and bad research and like weird racist and sexist conclusions and, and a history of that. And, and so, you know, the paper ended up being 55 pages. I learned a lot. Great. Uh, But if I had just followed the assignment and just absorbed the class the way a typical student did, I would have learned nothing and I would have forgotten the class had ever happened. Maybe had some misconceptions about what is evolutionary psychology or how much stake can you put in it. Right. Yeah. If I had just done a, a, a surface right. review of the research, right. I, I would. And the listeners will know that I've had many episodes about evolutionary psychology since right. and has furthered my understanding of, of the science and the field and the data. Um, and it all started with that instance. Um, now, uh, so, but there are other classes where I could just sit back and absorb. Uh, my classes with my, one of my mentors, Dr. Phil Cushman, I could just sit there and listen to him for hours and hours, and my brain, I could feel it rewiring itself because nice. he was like so smart and understanding of how things work and everything. So, continuing education is the same. It's even worse. It's probably a, a lower ratio of uh, things that are actually helpful in continuing it. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of bad continuing it there out there. Is. So, so, for me, for Bob, for all these physicians out there who are also have taken crappy classes and have, uh, have only had so much time to dedicate themselves to, to teaching themselves about a topic and have gone to a, a lot of shitty continuing, continuing ed classes. Um, we're all trying our best and we barely know anything and, and we're doing good work, you know, we're, we're, but it's not like it's uh, hard science. Um, well, it's not like it, uh, we know how to wrangle the chaos of nature. <laughs> in a hundred years, things will be different, right. given whatever we've learned and we learn in the next hundred years. Right. Yeah. And in a thousand years, we'll know right. even more. Right. And we'll look back on today, and we'll get lumped in with people who leached people. Yeah, these hacks. Right. Yeah. yeah. We'll, people will laugh, and right. and and they should laugh. You know. Right. And that's okay. And 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 first, I'm like, oh my god, my physicians know nothing. Right. What a terrifying prospect. And then I just said, well, I, you know, I, that's just how things are. That is how things are. And I, everyone's just trying their best, yep. you know. Um, and I need to lower my expectations. And I think it, just while I'm on this topic, I think a part of that uh, uh, sort of evolution for me is learning that for some medical issues, you know, I, it's like my physicians are part of the overall research that I do. So my physician will tell me something, and I, you know, believe everything they're saying for the most part. But I understand that, that this might not be their specialty area. They might not be up to date on the, on the latest research. Yeah. And so I'm not going to discount what they're saying, but I'm going to – and it's going to be definitely a big part of my consideration when I think of the gestalt of this issue. Right. But I'm not going to rely completely on them. I'm going to I'm going to get second opinions. I'm yeah. going to look online. Now online, I'm going to be very skeptical oh, of because there's a bunch of bullshit on there. So yeah. I'm not going to like. But but it is something to look at. You sure, know what I mean? There's good information on the net. Right. The other thing is is when I'm talking to my physician about something, they might tell me something and it might blow over my head in the moment, and I got to go back and you know go online and sort of anyway. Yeah. So uh, so we live in a weird situation where mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Jenna, it's like you're you're trying to find uh, you want to be certified in DBT, and you go online and it's just like it's confusing. Like w- this place says they certify, this other place says they certify. I don't get this, um, and yeah, it's it's a weird situation. But I, you know, I the only alternative would be is is if there was some kind of governmental stamp that said Marshall Linehan people can do dbt and no one else can and i I don't want to live in that world no we don't live in that world yeah you know you can um you can also find uh classes where you do get continuing education credit and it's still not a good training like this it doesn't have to be the 17 year old who has no standing with the nbcc or the other boards or whoever um you can get and i'm thinking of and i'm not going to name who but i'm thinking of one organization where, yeah, you can get what they call certification in DBT, and as far as I can tell, it has no value. So if I'm Jinnah, what I'm thinking is, 
find somebody to teach me. That's whenever I've wanted to learn something and I'm lucky cause I live here. So this is where this is like the mothership of where DBT, you know, so I'm, I'm lucky that way, but there are good DBT people out there in the world. Those, those institutes, the Linehan Institute and then the behavioral tech, good resources. And also you live in a city, you probably, there are probably very good DBT people in your world and I would find them, seek them out, express interest. Maybe there's people at the universities there that are doing research and they might be worth you know, seeing if they have opportunity for you to come and learn yeah. in some fashion. Yeah, that's that's great advice. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, when I think back on the sort of pie chart of my uh, what got me to the place where I am today in terms of my knowledge and ability as a clinician and as a supervisor and, and teacher, cl- the classes probably amount to at most five percent, if not less, if yeah. not lesser than that. Right. Uh, the The rest of the pie chart is filled with mentors, with um, yeah, people, colleagues that I can bounce ideas off right. of experience, my own reading, my own thinking, yeah. my own experience, uh, experiments with in, in therapy, right. uh, my own uh, wrestling with conversations with colleagues, you know. And uh, so that's great advice yeah. that you're given, uh, Jenna. The other thing, uh, Jenna, Can people hire you, before I forget, as a uh, consultant for DBT? I don't know. Can they? If, yeah. if they live in on the Texas, phone? no, on the phone, you know, you could you could provide consultation on the phone. Then yes, they could uh, educational consultation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the other thing that uh, yeah, the, uh, people could if they wanted to just give me a call. We can talk about how that fits. Um, uh, the other thing is that when because you know a shit ton about DBT, I mean, you can teach it forwards and backwards. Well, I know a shit ton about some parts of DBT. I would not hire me for other parts. Okay, well, what other parts though? I wouldn't hire me as an, as a consultant for individual DBT therapy. But the I, classes? The cl- teaching skills class, yeah, I, I know my way around Which that. can be applied to individuals. Uh, good individual DBT therapists are very well versed in DBT skills and skills training. Um, the opposite isn't always true. Right. So anyways, but when they, you know, when they do these DBT certifications, the thing about DBT is it's a team treatment. The way Marsha talks about it is it's a community of therapists treating a community of clients. So when a person approaches the Linehan board for, you know, training, what they want you to do is they want you to show up with a team, you know, three, four, five other therapists who are interested in learning this with you, who are going to be your consult team, because being on a consult team is actually a big part of that model. So if you want to get certified in DBT, you, first off, you can't get certified in skills training. They don't have that. They only have certification in individual therapy. But as far as I know, it's kind of weird. You can only get certification if you show up and do training with a team. Um, and out, and it's actually fairly rigorous what you have to do to get certified. But outside of that, um, there, isn't, there isn't just I show up and I learn DBT and, and I get my certification. You have to do a lot of stuff in between their trainings. I like that. Yeah, it's 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 the most rigorous training I've ever seen for anybody to learn some kind of therapy. All right, this email is from Patron Jean. Patron Jean writes, I am a new therapist near Chicago working in private practice. How would you and Bob recommend a newer therapist advertise for the services I provide? I've put up a profile on Psychology Today I'm attending conferences to network, and I'm doing certification workshops to add some letters after my name. I've also reached out to schools near the practice and have given them my business cards in case they have students who would benefit from therapy. Do either of you have any recommendations as to how to go about marketing myself? Bob, what do you think? Uh, Those all sound like very good proactive things, and I'm not a marketing expert. The the thing I did was just find something I'm interested in, learn the hell out of it, and then market accordingly, kind of like the way Gene is saying. Uh, but, you know, I think you probably have more savvy advice about marketing than I ever would. Yeah, I don't have savvy advice, but I've had more experience working with my supervisees yeah. as they graduate and have to uh, start to market their practice. The The thing that... Um, it sounds like, Gene, you're aware of this, that a lot of therapists who hang a shingle don't realize is that starting, you know, starting a private practice is the exact same situation as if you were starting a restaurant or you were starting a, a house cleaning business or you yeah. were starting a, 
a dry cleaning business, um, you everyone kind of understands like for a restaurant, you got to get customers in the door. You got to have coupons. You got to have advertising. You've got to get yourself on the internet. You've got to get on Yelp. You have to have good reviews, all this kind of stuff. Now, therapists, we can't use reviews ethically um, in most situations. So mm-hmm. we, we got to not do that. But but so so it's a mindset of I am and, – and the thing that I tell people is for every one to 10,000 people who hear about you, one of those people will contact you. And out of every 20 to 40 people who contact you, one of them will end up being a viable long-term client. So you've got to come into contact with thousands of people yeah. to build a practice. Because a lot of people, when they, you know, they're going through school, they're like, okay, I'm going to start a private practice. Right. They think, well, I only need, you know, because it's true, 25 clients to have a practice. And they're like, I know 25 people. <laughs> and you're just like, that's not how it works, you yeah. know. Plus, you can't treat people that are close to you. So right. uh, anyway. Um, it takes time. It takes time. So there's a lot of advice, uh, and it's hard to know what works because there's a lack of research, um, and it depends on your market and your specialty. Uh, Some rural markets or some particular cities will probably be different than others. But again, this is the advice I give to my supervisees based on what my supervisees go through. So one, it's good that you're networking. That's great. Just keep doing that. Uh, You know, five out of six of the things that you do will probably result in no clients, but there's no way to know which of those one of the six things will actually work. You're talking about things I do to market myself. Right. The things that she's already doing, you know, psychology today, uh, networking workshops. Um, Like I one time had a former client who became one of the biggest referral sources at a certain point in my career. No kidding. Yeah. Uh, it was just a former client that really liked me and she was <laughs> so cool. very connected in, in society. Uh-huh. She, she did a lot of charity work and um, she knew a lot of different people and she was just, I, I every month I was getting a new client just no from, kidding. just from her. Wow. Um, another example is there's a, a life coach on Capitol Hill who I don't know how he knows me. I'll, I'll actually give him a shout out. His name's John Mace. And uh, people really like him. And he has sent me a lot of clients wow. over the years and That's continues to. I, cool. I, my practice is full now, so I can't take anymore. But, uh, but uh, and if you're in the area, I have therapists that I can refer you to if you do contact me that are, you know, just as good, if not better than I am. And so, um, so. How did how did this one how did now how did this one referral source these two referral yeah, sources right. what did I do to get them on my side I I don't know you yeah. know but it was probably like um, making sure I'm a good therapist that's a big one <laughs> making sure I'm professional but yeah. at some point I I must have done something especially with the John Mace person how did he even know about me right. you know what I mean and so um, so you just never know, never know. and and, and Maybe 99 out of 100 things I did didn't work, but you only right. need some things to work. So just keep doing that. Um, you also said, uh, patron Jean, that y- you're going to, let's see, you're doing a lot of certification workshops to add some letters after your name. Uh, this is just me. Don't do that. People who add a lot of letters after the name look like hacks. And I know that some people... Uh, get angry at me when I say this, you know, they'll be like I, someone online, actually a former student of mine was just like, I know Kirk thinks I'm a hack, but I just got the certification and fuck you. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, you know, obviously be proud of yourself that you got, you did the work you became like Bob, for example, oh, he's certified in, in EFT right now, yeah. right? He's certified in DBT, but when Bob, no, I'm not certified in DBT. Oh, okay. Well, you're certified yeah. in EFT. Yeah. But when Bob puts his name on his on the office door, he's not going to put certified in EFT <laughs> because if you start putting all those things after your name, unless that's all he does, for example, and he really wants to market himself that way. But for example, there was a time in my life when I could put like I could put like seven or eight different groups that were legit. Sure. You know, MA, LMFT, right. PsyD, CMHS, right. MHP. 
Double uh, AMFT supervisor. Double AMFT supervisor. Double uh, AMFT clinical fellow. Like, there's right. a lot of things. Professor. <laughs> professor. There's a lot of things I could put <laughs> oh, after God. my name. But after a, after a little bit, it, sure. you start to look like you're desperate, yeah. you know? Now, there's nothing wrong with getting those certifications. No. Actually, that's a really good ethical thing to do. Find rigorous training. Go do the training. Right. But mainly, I think your point is, be a good therapist. Yeah, don't don't try to. When I see that in people, one, no one understands what are what's after the clients don't understand. I don't understand a lot of them, right? So you're not. I don't think you're necessarily helping the situation. Um, and two, some other therapists, particularly more uh, experienced ones, will look at that and go like, "Oh boy, they're insecure." <laughs> I would. Now there are some exceptions, like. You can have LMFT, licensed marriage and family therapy, yeah. and be an ATR, registered art therapist. Um, and those two things make sense because you want to make sure that people know that you're a licensed marriage and family therapist and you're a registered art therapist. That makes sense. Or LMFT, CST, certified sex therapist. You know, there's certain things. But, but some people will put MA, LM, LMA, LMFT, meaning they have a master's degree and they're licensed in marriage and family therapy. You need a master's to be licensed in marriage or family therapy, so it's implied. If you have LMFT, everyone knows you have a master's degree, or at least anyone who cares. Well, yeah, knowledgeable people would. I think the average Joe, I don't know if they would. And they wouldn't know what it stood for anyway. Yeah. And they wouldn't care. You know what I mean? Right. They want to know that you're um, qualified. Yeah. So, you know, just if you don't like my opinion, people, especially former uh, students out there... (laughs) Like, that's fine. I, I'm just one person, you yeah. know, you don't have to please me. I, yeah. I'm not, you know, but I'm just telling you, it's it's not a road that I think is going to be very fruitful. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, is don't just give your card out. So when you're networking, there's a sort of compulsion of just like, well, I got my card and I'm going to hand it out. Uh-huh. You want to build relationships. Yeah. Like the, the two referral sources that I had in the aughts of my former client and John Mace I had relationships with those people. Oh, you did? Well, yeah. I mean, my former client, I Well, of course knew. you did. And John Mace, I didn't have a relationship, so to speak, but we sort of had a relationship through our clients, if that makes uh-huh, sense. Yeah. Anyway, so you want to- He's you, a colleague. Right. You want to build a relationship. Bob, for example. Yeah. I refer clients to Bob. Yeah. Uh, one, because I know he's an excellent therapist, Thank but you. two, I know a lot of excellent therapists, to be frank. Yeah. I know a lot. I don't know people as good as Bob, but I know a lot of really good therapists. So the reason why yeah. I refer to Bob without any reservation and I'll say glowing words and I'll, I'll like say, you got to go to Bob, man, <laughs> is because I love Bob. Thank you. I love you too. <laughs> uh, so so you, what, however you can get people to love you, uh, that's when you start to see the referrals. I agree. The other thing is your headshot. Your headshot has to be uh, good. And – here is the system that I have done for that I've told for people is it's unless you can take a really good picture yourself, uh-huh. which is unlikely, by the way, <laughs> uh, you want to hire someone to take some headshots of you. Now, the first group of headshots, it might be pricey, you know, two to five hundred dollars or something. Oh, yeah. And they might be bad. And you might be you might be very insecure about having your picture taken. Oh, yeah. And you don't, you, you know, oh, I'm an ugly person. I avoid, you know, I don't look right. I, I'm I'm 45. I don't look as cute as I did when I was 15. Mm-hmm. I don't like the way my face looks or whatever. Yeah. You got to get over that fast because your headshot is the window to um, yeah. uh, referrals. People, uh, from my observation, yeah. when they look for a therapist, they are just looking at the headshots. Yeah. And they're going... Can, do I want to talk to that face? Yeah. Now, it's a really bad heuristic, sure. frankly. Like, you, you don't really have any idea until you – it's like Tinder. You don't know until you actually sit down with that person and, and meet them. And so if you're looking for therapists out there, I don't recommend relying so much on that for sure. But it is a pretty big influence, which makes sense. And so you want to you get a professional shot or, you know, if you can take a good shot yourself. Step two is – Give a group of headshots with choices to, like, three to five, to people that don't know you and don't care about you. Like, post it on Reddit, for example, and say, which one of these would you want to go to as a therapist? Because you cannot ask your friends. 
Yeah. Because all of us understand the amount of shame all of us have about our faces yeah. and the way we look. And your friends will tell you white lies. You don't need that shit. Yeah. You need completely objective eyes on it. People who are willing to be like, all five of these pictures are creepy. Yeah. You you need them <laughs> to be able to say that. Your friends aren't going to say that yeah. and all like that. So so that so figure out a way to get them to people that don't know you and and won't feel bad to actually point out. Then you'll know, okay, that's a picture. The other thing with a headshot is like psychology today where you have your your profile on uh, have maybe three options that m- make sense to you, um, maybe with two different photo shoots or something. And for like three months, have one headshot. And for another three months, have another headshot. Oh, right. And see how many, see ref- what, see how many referrals you oh, get. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is uh, office decor and location. So what is your office decorated like? It doesn't have to be awesome, but it is a thing you have to think about. The other thing is location. And what I tell people is, uh, in Seattle anyway, because mm-hmm. there's so many clients that are willing to pay for therapy in Seattle, is pick a place that's close to your house because you're going to be traveling there a lot. You know what I mean? So, but if if you don't live in an area where there's a ton of clients, you might have to think like, where are there a lot of clients but not a lot of uh, therapists? Often suburbia is a good place. There's a lot of teenagers and couples and, you know, there's a lot of people looking for therapy, but they got to go to the city to get a therapist. And so if, if maybe you live in the city, but you commute to your, to your suburban office and you're full because you're like one of the few therapists in town in that, in that area. Right. The other thing is respond quickly. It's one of the most important things. We're terrible about that. Have you noticed that too? Oh yeah. Oh my God. It's awful. Yeah. And you people out there listening know this too. You reach out to five therapists and none of them even get no, back to you. They don't send you an email. They don't return your phone call. I respond every single time. Me I say, too. I'm sorry. My practice is full. Absolutely. Timely too. Yeah. I mean, it's just bad manners not to. I know. Bad business model, bad manners. It's not just therapists though. It's lawyers. Is it really? It's tax people. Oh God. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, is tell everyone. So tell everyone that you have a practice. Do not be shy about it. Tell yeah. everyone you know, everyone in your family. Don't expect a lot of referrals to come in no. through those channels, but you just want everyone to understand you are a therapist, you're looking for clients, that yeah. kind of thing. The other thing is, is try to get on insurance panels. Yeah. I know some people don't like that, but yeah. but it, it can be a big deal. At least as a jump start. Right. Um, you get referrals, and when people come to you, they're more likely to stay long-term because they're only paying a copay. Right. Also, there are Facebook groups to join, therapists, oh. parents, mental health Facebook groups, and a lot of times people are looking for therapists on there, or you can just post a thing like, hey, I'm a therapist in this area, and you want to come to me. There's a lot of potential there. If you're really good with Facebook and like, um, you know, on these other forums that are popular, you could you could fill your entire practice that way, I, I, would, I would think. Um, also, build a presence online somewhere, you know. Like with Twitter or with Instagram, you know, and don't just post one thing a month. Like try to, this is something kind of an advanced thing, but um, I've seen this work for some people, um, like a podcast, for example. Um, employee assistance pro, uh, program oh, yeah, pa- good idea. panels can be good, similar yeah. to insurance. Right. Um, also, there are networks. Like in Seattle, we have the Women's Therapy Referral Network. Oh, yeah. So you have to be fully licensed. You have to have a certain amount of experience. You have to be a woman. And you join this women's therapy referral network. And uh, there's a lot of clients who get referred just to that network. And they often have too many clients and they don't have enough therapists. And so for therapists that join that network, all of a sudden within a month, they're full just Mm -hmm. because they join this, this network of therapists. Also, advertise your specialty to the audience you're talking to. So if you are a specialist in, you know, parenting, then you want to go to parenting conferences or parenting Facebook groups or something like that. Like, go to where the people are. Um, Don't just go on the internet and hope that they Google you. Uh, But most of all, believe in yourself. This is the most important thing. This is the difference that I see in my supervisees. Believe in yourself and be arrogant. This is important. Um, so it's not being a dick, but, you know, McDonald's isn't shy about the fact that they exist. They advertise. They got the golden arches. They say, you know, 10 billion served or whatever. They don't hide in an alley going like, I hope someone comes here. You know, uh, that's not how business works. You got to stand 
tall, stand proud. Yeah. You know, you are the only member of that business. Yeah. No one else is going to stand tall for you. Nope. You've got to stand tall. The other thing is, is you got to put in the work, you know, almost every day, particularly in the beginning, you got to put in the work. You got to be like, okay, every day I'm going to dedicate myself to uh, some aspect of marketing. Absolutely. Even if it's just five minutes here and there, you know, but you got to keep, you know, plugging yeah. away at it. Don't just sit back and wait for clients to come because, uh, depending on your market, they, they probably won't. It, at the very least, they won't come at the pace that you're hoping that they do. Right. Oh, as you were talking, I was thinking, find out who's got a good website and model the content of yours on theirs. Good, yeah. Yeah. I like it. Uh, let's see. So we have an article here. Um, new therapy helping patients without drugs, it's called. It's, I, just, I did Google News therapy and this came up today and so i, th- I wanted okay. to know what you thought of it bob oh all right by gretchen bolander um so uh this is in missouri a new therapy protocol is giving patients a way to retrain their brain without using drugs or traditional therapy the therapy is called neurofeedback what do you think about this i've heard of this yeah yeah well so what jumps out to me is they're calling it a new therapy protocol do you know how long neurofeedback's been around been a bit like basically a hundred years. So, <laughs> so to call this a new therapy protocol, um, either they're, they don't know what they're talking about or they were misinformed. Um, or so, they're trying to sell something. Yeah. So it goes on to hear, uh, say, uh, that they can target ADHD, anxiety, and depression, which is, you know, true. It, it can be effective at times. Um, neurofeed. So what's your understanding of neurofeedback? Is it high and biofeedback? Um, right. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I think it's biofeedback. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think it's any different from the description they had in the, in the. Do they have their own new machine or something? Uh, there's been various different machines over the years and I'm guessing this machine's exact, you know, they yeah. put electrodes on your, on head, your head and, and you through biofeedback by watching a screen, right. you can, uh, modulate your own. Uh, rhythms and your heartbeat and your uh, mindfulness or the yeah. way your brain works or something and and by watching whatever you're yeah. on the screen you learn oh when I when I relax my shoulders right. when I try to breathe okay when I try when I relax the muscles in my jaw right. when I try not to think about distressful thoughts yeah. th- these. Uh, indicators on the screen right. indicate that I'm calming down and things are better. Straight reinforcement. Yeah, and there's various uh, games you can like. You can do this for seven year olds by having it be a video game, video game. Yeah. that works when they relax themselves. Um, and yeah, it can help obviously with anxiety. Um, you know, depression. I could absolutely see it working. ADHD also helps you to learn how to focus. This is the focus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the way this article is just written is just so it's like. Um, so silly. It's like a new therapy protocol. Mm. Um, and then it says here, and tell me what you think of this. Mm. Um, no drugs, no talking about your experiences, not looking <laughs> at your past, not processing. It's really changing how your brain waves are responding in your brain to situations. What do you think about that? Well, I suppose it's true. <laughs> yeah. But I don't, there's this sort of inclin- there's this sort of connotation that um, talking, you know, oh, God forbid you actually look at your past or, you know, right. whatever. It's a little um, condemning. Right. Yeah. It's basically saying, the way this is written, it's like, well, reader, we all know that drugs are bad. Oh, right. And talking about your experiences is annoying. Oh, my We goodness. all understand that. Sure, of, of course. You know, it's sort of be like if you wrote an article about like, you know, there's a way you can skip the security line at the airport. You know, and you're just like, no, you know, no waiting in lines, mm-hmm. no going through the annoying, uh, you know, x-ray machine. Uh-huh. Like, it, there's this assumption, like, well, of course, reader, you understand. That's a no. No drugs, no talking about your experiences, no looking at your past, no processing. It's like, what the fuck is wrong with drugs? What the yeah. fuck is wrong with talking about your experiences? Sure. What's, what's wrong with looking at your past? The other thing that they leave out here is CBT. Like, what about uh, skills and learning how to manage your thoughts and learning how to learn new behaviors yeah. uh, to actually reduce um, symptoms of ADHD, anxiety, and depression? Right, right. They're they're equating therapy with 
and this is something you know obviously that is silly that bugs me all the time is there's a certain pockets in our society that consider therapy to be just just laying on a couch and complaining about your parents right there's that sort of that glib image of yeah stereotyping yada yada yada, it's annoying right yeah and so i don't know this and again this isn't deep on the internet i just googled therapy (laughs) news and this was one of the first things that came up (laughs) um So yeah, well, I think that's uh, I think that's about it that we'll do. Oh, how about this this article here? We right. can finish with this one. Um, oh, another thing I found was that a number of different states are starting to follow in our footsteps by banning conversion therapy. Yeah, I just read about that uh, Utah the other day, right? And other states as well are right. starting to do it. It's probably just a matter of time before. The entire country is it uh, is it banned in Washington? Yeah, are they are they sort of leading the charge kind of thing? Uh, I can't remember the exact sequence, yeah. but certainly Washington was you know one I'm of the first. The, yeah, yeah, and uh, so it's yeah it's great. I mean, great to see a, a, yeah. a state like Utah, who is known for Mormons, which is known for um, being anti-gay um, at least in the past, like. There was a law that passed in the aughts in California, I can't remember, that banned marriage between oh, same-sex people. Yeah, I can't prop, remember. Prop 8, I think it was Something called. like that. Yeah. And I, from, my, from my memory, that was a LDS-backed uh, oh, really? thing. I can't remember precisely. Uh, right, but, right. Okay. But anyway, so it's, you know, it's yeah. great news. Right. Um, on the American Psychological Association website, it talks about um, how to choose a therapist. Oh, and so they have some questions to ask, and I, I thought um, I think I think all these are good, but there's like certain things I think we can say to these. They say um, you should ask uh, because a lot of times you know we we just go oh okay well they have the letters after their name sure. so I'm just going to go to them they're all equal kind of right thing. so they're saying you know you should ask these questions so they say you know ask are you a licensed psychologist and how many years have you been practicing psychology so what do you think about that one. Well, um, great if you're looking for a psychologist, but there are lots of um, very good folks who do not have a PhD, who are not practicing psychologists, that are um, very good therapists. I know a lot of them. Right. Uh, so I don't. I think this is coming out of the APA, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. So of course they're going to, you know, either have a conscious or unconscious bias towards psychologists. Psychologists, yeah. Which is, I get it. You know, it's like, oh, of course. You know, yeah. American Psychological Association, they're going to be biased towards psychologists. But if you're truly trying to help the public, wouldn't you, because of evidence, know that you should probably propose not such a limited question? Because uh-huh. actually in your area in the United States, the uh, percentage of clinicians who are available to help you and could help you that are psychologists is actually small. It's pretty small. Yeah. I, I don't know. Estimate at the most, like a, a third or a fourth or something. Would you say that's about right in Seattle? About a fourth? Yeah, third. the dominant are people like you, the, yeah, ca- the masters, counselors. Master's level. Uh, but particularly master's yeah. level counselors. Yeah, I moved here in 1992. When I moved here, I noticed that there were a lot of therapists in practice who simply had a master's, simply, who had master's degrees and nothing beyond. And <laughs> where I was from, outside Philadelphia and Pennsylvania in general, if you got kicked out of graduate school, they gave you what they called a terminal master's degree, right. which would not entitle you to a license, right? You had to have a, either an MSW or a PhD or PsyD in order to get a license to practice in the state of Pennsylvania. It's not that way now. Changed in the late 90s, but back when I moved here, it wasn't. So I thought, oh my God, all these people have been kicked out of graduate school? Because I had <laughs> no feel for this. Yeah. So there's that. And then the other thing is, how many years have you, have you been practicing? Mm-hmm. Is you know it's not a bad question, but it's not a it's not necessarily a helpful one. It, there are yeah. people right out of grad school who are excellent therapists. Right. So and there are people who are very experienced who are terrible. So that indeed is true. Uh, another question here: I have been feeling um, blank, yeah. and I'm having problems with blank. Uh, what experience do you have helping people with these types of problems? How would you feel if someone asked you that question? I think that's a good savvy question because, you know, um, if my expertise is in ADHD and you're coming to me for, say, depression or something else or marital troubles, I'm probably not the best fit. So you'd want to know, do I have any experience working with? But but it's not enough just to say, do you or don't you? It's I would want to know, okay, well, well um, you know, how long you've been doing that? What's the percentage of your practice that's dedicated to folks with my kind of trouble? Um, do you like it? Um, how How... 
what's your general approach to treatment? If can you say like an elevator speech or whatever? Right. Which I don't like doing, but I'm getting better at doing elevator speech because it's necessary. Right. Most therapists have not been trained on how to answer that question. Yeah. yeah. They have never taken a class and their supervisor didn't bother to right. help them with that. Yeah. And it's hard. And so I actually spend time with supervisees. Yeah. Oh, you're good. I'm like, okay, so I'm a client and prove to me that yeah. you're going to, you're a good therapist. Yeah. And everyone's bad at it. Yeah. And, and, but a big part of it actually is modeling and I'll, I'll go like, okay, well, I know you. So for example, for Bob, if you were my supervisee, sure. I would say, um, okay, if I was Bob, this is what I would say. Someone comes to me and says that I, um, I'm in a relationship and um, I want individual therapy and um, how, what's your approach and how could you help me? And you'll be like, well, what's, what's the problem with the relationship? Well, you know, we're having conflict. We, you know, we're talking about divorce, but I, I don't want to get in a divorce. You'd say, okay, well, so in a nutshell, my approach is that I, um, you know, want people to understand each other better. I want people to be in touch with their own emotions. I want people to be able to communicate those emotions in a way that doesn't threaten the other person, in a way that the other person can, can hear. And usually when we do that, you know, over time in, in therapy, um, even if it's individual therapy, because I will coach you on how to talk to your spouse about your emotions and they will likely follow suit, that usually people have less conflict and they get along better. Whether or not you stay together or not, you know, it, it, that's a choice for two of you to make, but at least, you know, you'll understand each other better, you'll uh, care about each other more, and there'll be less conflict, you know. Great speech. Right. So now that should be in everyone's head, at least in a a amorphous sense. Yeah. But the uh, ability to spew it out of your face, you know, on the phone uh, on, a, on a second's uh-huh. notice uh-huh. is not something that everyone has. Uh-huh. Um, so other questions here. Um, what are your areas of expertise? Mm-hmm. That's fine. Uh, what treatments do you use? Mm-hmm. But here's another one. Have they been proven effective for dealing with my kind of problem or issue? What do you think about that question? Uh, it's a savvy question. Um, there's there's something about, uh, what do they call them? Evidence-based treatment. Right. You know, and on the one hand, it's like there's something like there's something to be said for it. You know, is there clinical data behind, you know, do we know that what you do works, you know? But at the same time, I can't remember what it is, but there's something about just focusing on evidence-based treatment that limits things. Totally. But, but I can't I can't articulate uh, that. I don't remember. Yeah. And some things are identified as evidence-based treatments when there are a lot more that aren't included in that umbrella. Like one of the things that I often tell people is, did you know that psychodynamic therapy is evidence-based for personality disorders? And they're like, huh? You know, or that interpersonal psychodynamic therapy is evidence-based for depression. Like, really? You know, like they, they, a lot of people consider psychodynamic therapy to be completely not evidence-based. They think only cognitive behavioral therapy right. is evidence-based right. or, and, and their associated other things like right. DBT. Right, right, right. Um, but it's one, it's not true. And guess who proposes those lies? You know, people who are trying to sell books in CBT and doing trainings in that. And people who only do that kind of therapy, you know, that it makes sense that they would spread that lie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so, uh, it, so there's that, but the other thing is that, um, in psychology, they, in general, they have a stronger culture of, of evidence research and ethics around this area. And so, um, so for example, you'll see more language around in the disclosure statements. Here is the evidence that this works, um, to the point where in my disclosure statement, at least it used to say this, maybe it still does, it, because I have such an integrative approach, it, there's no researchers out there that are researching my particular integrated approach. And so in my disclosure statement, I don't know if it's there, but it used to be where I would say there's no evidence to say that my integrated approach will actually work for anything. So I have to tell you that. <laughs> yeah, ethically speaking, I have to tell you that there's no, there's no evidence, quote unquote, that my approach actually works. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and yet there's a strong, um, I can't remember the language, but there's, you know, it's, it's reasonable to believe that this integration, if used effectively would work or something like that. Um, so, you know, for the average consumer to understand that whole, cause if you heard uh, someone say my approach, there's no evidence that it works, <laughs> Yeah, yeah it, it, it gives one pause. <laughs> yeah, you'd be like, wait, what? You know, here's a pill. 
by the way, there's no evidence that yeah. it actually works. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a hard thing for people to understand. Sure. And so, I, you know, I think for recommending people ask that question, I think uh, now for me, I would be able to answer that question pretty well because I'm yeah. used to answering those kinds of questions. Right. But I worry about the average therapist being able to, you know, if you ask somewhat like a humanistic person, like what's the evidence that your approach actually works. Like I'd be worried that they wouldn't, they'd have no idea really how to address that question. You know, they make it tongue tied or uh, defensive or something. Other things. What are your fees? Do you have a sliding fees policy? Mm, Good questions. Um, What type of insurance do you accept? Uh, Blah, blah, blah. What other questions might you ask someone? Uh, You know, I, I get this question a fair amount when people are shopping for a therapist and they say to me, well, how do you pick one? And I say, you know, some of the stuff that's on here and, you know. How do you pick a therapist? Yeah. Like people will ask me, you know, like clients who are looking for a therapist and it's not going to be me. Well, what would you do? And I say, well, this is what I do. I'd ask about what's your experience? How much of your practice is devoted to the particular thing? Here's my trouble. How would you help me? And, And listen to what the person has to say, how many years you got, but not use how many years you got as like the litmus test, Right. But more like pay attention to how do I feel when I'm having a conversation with you? Does this feel comfortable? Does it seem like you're somebody I want to talk to? Yeah. You know, and if you are, then that's um, um, not proof, but it's information. And maybe I want to come and sit with you for an hour yeah. and kick the tires on yeah. you and two or three others and then see what I think. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, not only is that obvious in terms of, well, I feel comfortable with this person. I'm more likely to go to the therapy and enjoy it. Yeah. But empirically, that has been shown to be a major factor in outcomes. Yeah. Uh, regardless of the model, that the, it, it's more yeah. important than yeah. the model that the, the therapist actually uses. When I when I think back to I don't know the five or so physicians, you know, primary care physicians I've had in recent years, I can think of two people that I really felt really felt really comfortable with, and. That was a big deal. When yeah. I didn't feel that comfortable, I might not reach out to them as much. When I go there, I'm a little tense. I might try to get out of there sooner. With people I'm really comfortable with, you know, I sort of luxuriate in our conversations, you know, and ask questions that are uh, maybe more embarrassing or something. And so, you know, same thing with therapy. Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast, Bob. I know oh, everyone yeah. always enjoys it. And thanks for being patrons out there. Um, you guys are super cool. And... Please take care of yourself because you deserve it.